All right, welcome everyone to Come Follow Me this week. We are covering Matthew chapters 6 and 7, and these are the chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount uh, is really at the, the central focus of the beginning of Christ's ministry because it's the first time that he's really publicly declared what his gospel is. At this point, he started to gain a lot of followers, and a lot of his followers have been been converted and um, began following him as a result of the miracles that they've seen him do, but they really don't know yet what his gospel is. So the Sermon on the Mount is really interesting because it's it's the opportunity for him to declare you know what it is that he's teaching, and also as he's about to send off his apostles for missions to go across the land um, to preach, this is the chance for them all to hear what he has to say and to hear what they're actually going to be preaching. So there's a lot of good, dense stuff here that we're going to talk about. Um, and I'll throw it to you, Cassie, to get us started. Yeah, um, there are a really gr- lot of really great things in these chapters. Um, the thing that I mainly wanted to touch on is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And this is where Christ is talking about um, coming to know him um, and that you come to know him by doing his will. Um, and I think a lot of times, at least for me, I always thought like, I think I thought of coming to know Christ is less of an active thing. It was more about study or just like a feeling of knowing him. Um, but a couple years ago, I was sitting in sacrament and, um, a stake president got up and he started talking about how we come to know Christ. And he gave this great analogy that has really stuck with me. He said, essentially, how would you get to know somebody in your everyday life, whether it's like a friend or a significant other or romantic interest, et cetera? Like, how do you get to know them? You spend time with them. Um, and it, why is it any different than if you were going to, if you were trying to get to know Christ or our Heavenly Father, um, you spend time with them. You pray to them. You talk to them. Um, so all of the same things apply. And I think a lot of times we think of getting to know Christ and doing his will as something that's um, while we're honoring him and doing it in his name, sometimes it can feel a little detached um, than your other relationships with people who are you see every day or right there in front of you. Um, But it can really, and it should really be the same as it is with God and with Christ. They should be a part of your everyday life and you can make them a part of your everyday life um, through prayer and through study and getting to know them as, as heavenly people um, Mm -hmm. and not just, not just in the abstract. No. Yeah. I think there's definitely a theme in these two chapters about communicating with God, right? We see um, Jesus gives an example prayer, and there definitely is a lot of talk about how we develop a relationship with what he calls our Father. And that idea of, of God being um, our Father uh, is in really something that we see in the Old Testament. It's a new concept. And part of what I was thinking as I was reading these chapters is how are the people re- receiving this idea of of God being their father. That's a little bit foreign to them. Um, and I think that that calling him such gives a lot of meaning 
um, to that relationship and is a very tangible thing that people can can grasp onto. And um, as I was just telling you, Cassie, that there, as we were getting ready for this and just logging on, I was like, I, I, I think I said I was trying to speak to see if my mic was working and, and you said, you know, I hear you. Um, finally, once I got my, my, my mic to work and that reminded me of a, of a movie that I saw a couple months ago, the new Avatar movie. And before I watched the new one, I watched the old Avatar movie. Um, and in the movie, um, the the Navi are this fish, fictional species of uh, like humanoid aliens, blue people um, on the planet Pandora. And they always greet each other with a phrase that translates in their language to um, I see you, which I think, which is supposedly represents this, this deeper understanding and acknowledgement of, of the other person's existence um, and their connection to, to the really the person's spirit or, or nature. Um, and it's used, you know, throughout the movie um, as this one character gets more and more integrated in, into the, the Pandora kind of Navi society. And I thought that was a really um, interesting and special way to think about relationships with each other, but particularly in light of, of, of the conversation that Christ has in the sermon about prayer and about, about looking to God. Uh, I think it's important to remember that, that when we acknowledge God and when he acknowledges us, um, the, the interpretation there to me is, is, you know, he sees us. Um, and, uh, and I think one of the, the main things that, that he encourages us to do by virtue of seeing us is, is to put forth his, for, put, to put first his gospel. Uh, if I can jump you back a chapter, Cassie, in Matthew 6, uh, I really like the verses where it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, and I don't know, this may be a question on the spot for you, Cass, but... Um, you know, it goes on to tell us that we shouldn't take any thought for what we should eat or drink or what we should be closed with because God knows that we need these things, but that we should seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto unto it. Um, and I, I guess my question for you is, is that's a very abstract principle. Like obviously we still need to seek clothes and, and, and food and, and there's a lot of things that we can't just go out and seek the kingdom. Um, but what's the application of that, do you think, in, in, in our world and, and, you know, as we experience it today and as we read this today? You know, it's interesting that you ask me this because I saw the other day, um, so Lent started this week, um, and my friend was telling me she's um, a very devoted Catholic, and so um, she, of course, is doing Lent, and she was telling me how one of her friends gave her a trash bag and on the trash bag, there was this note that, that said, put in this trash bag, um, things that you think are like, are an excess in your life that you don't really need. So, you know, clothes that you don't need, etc. And at the end of the 40 days of Lent, if you missed those things, then like you can take them out or like, if you needed it, like, you can take it out. But if you don't, and if you made it through those 40 days of Lent without having need or really giving any thought to the things that were in this bag, then the purpose is to then donate that bag to people who need it. 
Um, and so I think the message in this is obviously we have like worldly needs, um, but we shouldn't let our worldly needs overcome our spiritual needs. And they shouldn't be more important than our spiritual needs. Yeah, you know, I, I, th I think it's an interesting, interesting concept. Um, and I think this is why the, the sermon was, was such a revolutionary um, proclamation of sorts to the people is because they just weren't used to a lot of these ideas. I mean, the Jews were a people who were very focused on, on being right. And, and self-righteousness, I think, is very prevalent here with them believing that, they're, they're, believing that they're the chosen people with their occupation by Rome. Um, I, don't, I don't think they really saw themselves as, as people who had this heavenly mandate um, to, I guess, one, turn the other cheek, but two, look to things beyond uh, immediate uh, justification. Um, so this idea of of you know let's let's turn away from from these tan tangible kind of um not important things and do our alms in secret um not look for the glory of man pray in secret right avoid vain repetitions um you know fast and and and, and what your i guess your your example with the plastic bag is is kind of like a common combination of um fast offerings and um and alms, um, which maybe are the same thing, um, but I think it's a nice reminder that that there are all these, there are all these really important things in our life, and the one that comes to mind for me, I think, is work. And we spend a lot of time working and and learning and focusing on things that are kind of tertiary to ultimately our our kind of eternal life purpose. But I think part of our life purpose is um, is to learn how to balance competing priorities. And ultimately, come back to the idea that that the gospel is most important, and some of these ideas of like eternal, uh, eternal salvation, eternal, um, eternal, you know, glory, eternal life, are, are really what um, are the cornerstone for our faith. Yeah, I think that's awesome. The only other thing I wanted to add on um, to what you were saying is you were talking about like. Um, getting to know people. Mm -hmm. And a couple years ago, I got really into the Enneagram. I think I'm sure I've bored you to tears with it or already, but um, the whole idea this is, is a personality types. It, it's, it's kind of like a personality, but it's more um, what is central to it is what you most desire and what you most fear. Um, but what I really like about it is everybody's is different. So there's nine different ones. But I think what is really valuable is the focus of the Enneagram is often like understanding yourself and then understanding other people and then understanding how you um, how you give and receive love um, and how other people give and receive love and how they respond to things um, and how that's different based on whatever type you are of the nine. Um, and what I found really valuable is by understanding the people in my life and um, what numbers they are. For example, Will, I think that you're an eight. Um, I feel like I've been able to build stronger and better relationships because I understand them better. 
And I understand how what I do affects them differently. Um, and I think that's been really valuable. But I think there's like God and Jesus Christ are different because God and Jesus Christ don't have a number on the Enneagram. So I think for each and every person, God can be whatever number you need him to be. Um, and he can respond to you and however is the best way to reach you. Um, and so I think it's important to remember that like everybody's experience with God is a little different. That's because his, he's tailoring his response to whatever suits you the best, whatever will help you the most, whatever you need in a specific situation. That's an interesting point. I feel like I've, I've, I have a friend who's really into the personality types. And over the last week, I've kind of observed how um, our relationships with different people um, can be influenced by how we interact with different personality types. And that's a challenge sometimes uh, if people experience emotions um, or, or just, exp or events kind of differently than you do. Um, but that is a nice idea that, that, that God and, and Jesus Christ and the spirit, um, that they understand how we experience and feel and, and interpret things. And they're able to, I guess, perfectly tailor that experience towards us. Um, and I think that's a great, great motivation for us as well is, is to be able to, to do the same with other people and to be able to connect with them better. Um, in, in that case, I, that's a nice thought to wrap it up on. Um, I think we'll close there and, and, uh, and next week jump into, um, jump into Matthew 8 and Mark 2 through 4 and Luke 7. But thanks for joining us and thanks for joining me today, Cassie, on the Sermon on the Mount.